Welcome to the Women in Technology podcast. My name is Sly Gittins, and this series is aimed at amplifying the stupendous, the amazing women that's inside of the technology field. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this podcast. I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Mimi Gross, Principal Consultant at Higher Tech. And today she's going to share her story on how she got into the cybersecurity tech field. So let's get it started right now. So Mimi, would you mind sharing with my audience your story and how you got into the information technology field? And additionally, would you share how higher techs help candidates get into startups, specifically in the cybersecurity industry? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, by the way. I guess the story should start with how did I even get into recruiting, which is what we do at Higher Tech Solutions. There's the IT world, and then there's the cybersecurity. So kind of how do we zero in all the way there? I'll start really quickly. I was in the nonprofit world. A lot of what I did was all about networking people with each other, getting the right people together to make the best things happen, which is my tagline on LinkedIn. And so I've been doing that forever. Now, the nonprofit world has, I would say, a ceiling on kind of being able to really see things happen fast, real things happen fast. So I just started having a craving for a real business world. And so I was talking to a friend one day, and she made me crazy. It's like 24 hours a day. I love it. I was like, what do you do? And she said, I'm a recruiter. And I was like, what's that? Like, no, I'd never even considered it. So, you know, I started exploring with her, potentially joining her. Another friend of mine, you know, there was, I found that a lot of recruiting can be boring. You really have to love what you recruit. So I interned with a friend who had a cybersecurity recruiting firm, really deep on the startups. I couldn't get enough of it. I started reading, you know, all the blogs, all of the, everything I can get my hands on about cybersecurity startups, because obviously the bigger cybersecurity companies, I mean, you probably heard like, you know, you've heard of them probably in your regular McAfee, whatever. It doesn't sound that exciting. Mm -hmm. But once you start hearing about the startups, oh, they're like protecting autonomous cars and they're Mm -hmm. protecting like the, the infrastructure, you know, the, the electric, the electrical grid. I mean, it starts to get very exciting and you start to feel like, wow, this company is like protecting our country and our world. Mm -hmm. And I got addicted to it. Now the person that I was kind of like interning for just was not, um, that wasn't their approach. And so I kind of said, well, how about this? Like, you don't want to work with these kind of little tiny baby startups. Why don't I just go on my own? And that's all I'll do. And so that's what I do. I work with cybersecurity startups on building their first customer facing teams. Okay. And it's very exciting because there's so much human element to it. Um, so what is, you know, customer facing that, mm-hmm. that can, ex- there's a lot of that. Um, so there's obviously sales, there's obviously marketing. Mm-hmm. And then there's one other place, which is where I get a little technical, which is sales engineering. And that's what you do, right? Yeah, that's exactly. So that's what we do. And, um, you know, we could dig in on a couple different fronts there, like Mm -hmm. what makes it different, Mm -hmm. working for a startup, recruiting for startups, interviewing with startups. And then the other side of it is like, what's so exciting about cybersecurity? Yeah. So I'll leave that to you where you want me to dig in. 
Yeah, so first of all, that was a great um, story, a great background, how you got in there. One thing I did like to touch on is how you did an internship first to see if this was really for you. Um, and it gave you some hands-on experience on how you could do it better or differently. And then, you, and that's how you got your hair. So that's a really cool story to share on how you, you know, went from working for someone and then start your own business. And now it's focused on this particular area. I just, I'd love to say something about that, which is okay. that it's always good. Do not be afraid of working for free if you okay. want to try something out. Sorry. And that's great. No, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, no need to apologize. I think that's something that we need, we need to emphasize is I've done internships. My best position I ever took was right out of college. I did a six month, four month internship for the Office of Emergency Management in Brooklyn. Um, being a network engineer, help desk engineer, virtualization engineer, security engineer. And I had all these different wow. exposures for free. Right, I was working like 12 hours for free. So part of me That's is amazing. like, you know, my family's like, why are they getting this free labor out of you? But they didn't realize that I got to take what I learned conceptually in college and then actually apply it. And I realized, A, I didn't like being a network engineer, at least being a network engineer that was focused in the data center. I prefer being frontline with the customers and still having that technical element. So, and that's before I even knew a sales engineer role existed. So that's why like maybe I, I drew a little bit more to the help desk because it was more people oriented versus the systems oriented. Um, so I think that was really cool, but that helped spearheaded me to get my career jump started into like um, tech support. Then eventually the technical account manager, a manager, sales engineering roles, and then like pre-sales technology consulting roles, which is another word for sales engineer. Um, so, but that, that's really good to say, but let's, this was a good conversation to change gears for a bit. So, you know, my audience is more technical, right? So can we talk about from a macro scale, when you're looking at these different roles for sales engineers, what makes a good sales engineer? What are you seeing when you're hiring for these roles? What's some of the good and what's some of the bad that you're seeing now? That's a great question. I mean, it's really a good question. First of all, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because you're a great sales engineer. <laughs> number one, uh, people should know that a sales engineer, that title can be a number, can be called a number of different things. Solutions architect, what are some of the ones you've heard? Solution architect, pre-sales consultant, pre-sales specialist, the system engineer, right? Exactly. So, so there's, there's all these different titles that would really encapsulate this role. And I think the main difference here is the sales part which is that it's the, the kind of ahead of time um, bringing that customer on. Now, sometimes also when you hear sales engineering and you're a technical person, you think to yourself, I can't do that. Like, I don't want to sell. So here's why it's such a cool job. You are partnered with a salesperson, a real, like, you know, hard-nosed salesperson. So you get to play this like good cop, bad cop kind of thing, where if you're the sales engineer, you get to be the one to really make the customer, the potential prospect feel comfortable, feel like they, they have someone technical to kind of, you know, talk with and challenge in a deep way about the product. And, and that's why in my mind, I think it's a really cool job from the sales front, because you really get to be the good cop. And then like the salesperson, gets to be the one who's like pushing to close, pushing yeah. for the PO, you know, all that stuff. And the more you help your salesperson do that, the more they'll just love you. Mm. 
and the more you guys will sell together but your role is kind of good cop and I, I that's why I whenever I see that I'm like it is such a cool job and on top of that it pays really well yep. so that's kind of my two things on that um and can I jump in there really quick yeah so one thing I can add on to that is you said it right so for me I don't really enjoy forecasting I don't like doing this pipeline creation I know how to do all those things but I don't enjoy doing that I prefer getting into the technology understanding the problem that's being set forth and what tools that we can leverage you know to remediate those problems so you're right my sales rep would do all of the, um, the relationship building um, the number crunching the forecasting deal closers and my job is to set them up right so I'm a tool in the tool yeah part. Um, and, and, and the great thing I think I found, I'll give you an example. The other day, we had a, you know, I work with partners and partners who have customers. So my partner set up an end user call or their, their customer call for sure. us to do a demo, but my demo lab wasn't working. So I tried to reschedule <laughs> it, right? But we couldn't reschedule it. So myself and my sales reps had to stay up to like 12 o'clock like five hours to build this out from scratch. Oh my God. Right. So, so we can maintain that relationship and end of the day, the partner and the customer enjoyed the presentation. But again, I created it. I did the demo. I did all of the configurating the solution. And then I positioned it for the requirements that the customer gave us. Um, then after that was done, my sales rep takes it from there. They bring it across the line. I do the technical win. I like to call it. And yeah, they finish it across the line. Sometimes I switch out because I did sell roles in the past. So if my sell rough isn't there, I can close it myself if I needed to. Um, and this help out and vice versa. I teach them enough so they can have like a level one conversation. And if it gets deeper, they bring myself or uh, social. Fly, can I, can I ask you something that I think mm -hmm. is really interesting? Do you feel like, so you were up till midnight with these guys, like creating this thing. Do you, did you have, do you like them? Like, I, I always have this yeah. question, like, I think, like, the relationship between your sales engineer and you, like, if you yeah. love each other, like, if it really is, like, a cop team, yeah. and you guys are, like, you know, just kind of will do anything for each other, don't you think that that, that really enables the sales to Oh, yeah, to definitely. Skyrocket? Like, we, like, we, we tab team, right? We always say we're going to go to bat for each other, right? So I work with two sales reps. Wow. Um, that two direct sales reps and then extended team of 10 um, that leverages me for security solutions. And my two main ones, those are my partners. We got to go to war for each other, right? No matter if it's good or bad, we need to have that conversation. So when what we're in makes the, the relationship work? Like, what do you think is like the best part of your relationship with these two sales Respect. People? I think it's mm -hmm. respect. We both respect both of our roles are important and one isn't over the other. I don't assume because they're not getting into the tech that their job isn't valuable and they don't assume since they're building their relationship and um, bringing the customers to me that their job is more important than my job because without cool. one or the other, it doesn't work. It's not that perfect dance. And people might make the case, why do you need a sales rep if you have a tech person? But if you ever had to be the one to do both of those jobs at once, you could realize it gets cumbersome. And the only person that, I'm sure. uh, you know, I think, um, feels the impact is the customer so yeah i think respect is the main thing and also i think we enjoy each other's company we're set that some areas that we um, have synergies and then we set that we have some areas that i don't agree with him but we don't <laughs> use that to 
you know, stop our relationship, right? Whether that's political, right? We come up, we have different political views, but we... Oh, that's interesting. Like, meaning we, you have a real relationship, so you guys yeah. sometimes talk about stuff like We talk that. about that, and we got into heated arguments before. It's like a real relationship, <laughs> right? Because he won't agree with my thought process, I won't agree with his thought process, but at the end of the day, we say we value their thought process because we know, you know, to get to that place, you, we are made up of different experiences, so mm-hmm. we enjoy people's experiences, and we found that we had more commonalities than differences anyway. So the small, the small little differences, we don't let that stop us from having a friendship as well as a business partnership. So cool. That's, that's really that's really neat. I think that there's probably out there in the sales engineers, sales person world, there's probably like some amazing stories of like legendary, you know, partners who yeah. just kind of like play off each other. And that would be a really cool, um, you know, it would be a probably a really cool study to do to talk to like a bunch of like couples, sales yeah. engineer and salesperson, and yeah. just hear, you know, hear what makes a good team. Yeah, you're right. And because when I went to bat for him, staying up to 12 o'clock, he called me after the call and said, man, thank you. You know, most people wouldn't have sure. ever done that. They would have found some excuse not to show up or they would try to figure out a half-baked solution. And that would respect earn. And the same thing for him. I needed um, That's really a, a win, a win story. He's better at cultivating and selling the whole entire story, right? So I had That's him write awesome. something up for me. Um, and he went to bat for me for my justification for my roles. So we talked a lot about sales engineering and the role and who you are and who is higher tech, you know, solutions. Um, let's talk about what can my audience do to prepare for these type of interviews? What are you seeing in, in the candidates who come to these startups who do a good job? What, what's some of the skill sets they, in, they embody? What's some of the, um, the way they deliver on that interview? And what stuff that they didn't do well that you think my audience should stay away from? That's a really good question. I think I could unpack that into two different things. One is I have a, great suggestions on some interview tips that I think are universal. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's a second part of your question, which is what does it take to be successful in a startup? So I have like a set of kind of universal tips that I almost literally cut and paste mm-hmm. and send out ahead of time. And I always preface it by saying, I hope it doesn't seem like I'm being patronizing by saying some of these very basic things. Mm-hmm. But what I have found is that um, people who are generally confident people, people who are worried about interviews will prepare up to wazoo, but sometimes they're not preparing smartly. And so you'll like over-prepare. And so I've honed it down to a couple different things. One is I say, give yourself a half hour to really study the website. Try to understand it from a customer perspective. That's the best way. If it's a startup, I would also try to take the perspective of like, of, you know, an investor, try to imagine that you're an investor and you're thinking, would I invest in this company? Where, what problem are they solving? How are they doing it? Is that going to, you know, can I buy that? Can I buy how they're trying to sell it to me just from the website? Cause that's really a superficial, but very telling way to know a lot about the company. So you're looking at that piece. Then you're actually looking at the tech. And while you look at the tech, what I recommend is write three questions down. And these are questions that you imagine you're sitting with somebody and they're telling you about this tech. 
And you want to think about the most curious sounding questions. So something that's not going to be obvious. If it's going to be obvious on the website from looking at it for, let's say, a half hour, 20 minutes, don't ask that question. You want to ask something that you're pretty sure isn't obvious. And that's going to make you look curious. It's going to make you look interested and intelligent. Now, I say look that way. That sounds like, am I telling you to be fake? No, I mean, you want to get to the point where you yourself, if you can't get to where you're asking a curious question, you might not be that interested in what the company's doing. Agreed. So that could be an indication to yourself that you're not very excited by it. So that's something I want to say, mm -hmm. which leads me to something to always keep in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. And when you're interviewing for a job, you always kind of, the default is you want them to like you. And that's good. But you also want to keep in the back of your mind, do you like them? Do you like the way that they're interviewing you? Do you like the way that they're presenting their product? Mm -hmm. So number one is you're reading the website. You're writing down questions. You may think you'll remember those questions. You will go blank and you will say, and when they say, do you have any questions? Or when you want to throw a question in, you will go blank. Yeah. Guaranteed. Maybe not on all three of the questions, but always helpful to have it in front of you. And I can't tell you how many people have thanked me afterwards for just saying to them, like, write it down, yeah. <laughs> have it in front of you. Um, so that's one. Watch anything, obviously, any content that's like video content that you can. Yeah. Now, the next thing I would say is um, ask the person who's interviewing you how they got to that company. Smart. And, you know, that is a great way to like, let's say you went to the same college or you play the same sport or you like the same stuff. And, and that's like obvious. I hope it's obvious. You will always look up the person that you're going to be speaking with on LinkedIn first. So there you have some things to connect with on a personal level. But let's say you just don't have anything to connect with. A great way to get the person interviewing you to be human with you is to ask them how they got there. So that's, a, that's a, a tip that I think is a really good one that I give people. Now, if you're going to um, a sales job, and this can kind of a little bit skim on, let's say you're trying to break into the sales engineering world. If you're trying to break into the sales engineering world, I hope that at some point in your life, you've had a situation where you've had to persuade somebody to do something or sell something. So what I tell salespeople is always have a sales story that shows a challenge and a victory and will show your kind of expertise. It doesn't have to be a sales story. So if you're interviewing for a really technical role, I mean, you could think of any challenge you would have and then always kind of think of it with like a little victory at the end. I've heard people um, in interviews get asked that question, like tell me about a difficult situation you had or a deal that you, you know, didn't get or almost didn't get. And I've heard people tell stories of deals that they didn't get because of some larger outside influence came in and they just, but they worked really hard. I'm telling you right now, like that's not going to fly. You, if you're going to share a story, you've got to show that you have the kind of personal initiative to make something happen, to be scrappy, to be creative, to get to where, you know, the, the um, task that was put in front of you is done. 
So that's just a strange thing that, you know, seems obvious, but like I always say it, and that's the theme of every recommendation I give for interviews seems obvious, Mm -hmm. but when I lay it out to them and I send a text that says these things and they can tick that off before the meeting, um, I think it's really important. You know, they're basic, but really important. The other thing I always say is that um, if it's a sales, if it's a sales role, make sure you don't forget that you are selling. People do forget that they're selling themselves when they're in a sales call. And so the recommendation I always give is just ask yourself, what is the goal? If you were selling something in this call, what are you selling and where do you want to be at the end of the call in the sale and make sure you're there. But in startup, you're going to wear many hats. You're going to do many things. You're going to learn a lot on the job. However, and I think this is, you really brought this up and it's such a great lesson for everyone to know. Just dig in, in the interview process. What do you need me to be excellent at and efficient with today? And then what are those things that, yeah, maybe I'll be able to grow into, but what do you essentially need now? And you're right. Sometimes they won't know. And sometimes they'll be excited by the entire package of what you're bringing to the table. And so they want to make it work and you want to make it work. But right now they need this one thing that just isn't the thing you love to do. Don't do it. Because if there's one thing that they need on a pretty regular basis, even just at the beginning, but it's not what you love. Now that's different than able. It has to be the thing you love to do because you're going to do a heck of a lot of it. That's where I think there's really an interesting differentiation is make sure it's the thing that not just that you can do, not just that you're good at, but that you love to do. And if that's what they need you to do tomorrow, it's a great fit. If that's not what they need you to do tomorrow, but they like other things about you, ask them exactly how they envision that hole being filled. Because it's not a non-starter. If everybody's prepared, everybody's eyes wide open, anything can work. And that's what I love about startups. Yeah, I think transparency is key, right? I think it helps you and helps the company. And it's okay to say that, you know what? I like 90% of it, but the 10% that you asked for seems like it's critical. And I don't think that's something I just don't want to do, right? So I think that's going to be a deal breaker, but I do enjoy this company. So if you do have a role with X, Y, and Z, you know, keep me in mind, right? Because then you just formed a partnership, a friendship that can carry on to something different. So, um, and then also don't let the money hypnotize you too, right? Um, Sometimes you get a nice package, you get um, a lot of stock options and everyone hears the stories of when, if they would have got into Google or Facebook in the beginning, they'd be millionaires. And that thing is enticing. But if you don't love doing it, don't do it, right? Because you're going to, you know, you're going to have to, you know, make that, are you willing to make that sacrifice? And if you don't enjoy doing it, it's going to make it hard coming every day when you put well, in, you know, slide, you know, that this, time. Is, this is, yeah. And I think like with joining a startup, I think the most important thing is not just that, you know, you won't enjoy it and you'll be sad, like, yeah. you know, kind of like an emotional thing, but yeah. you won't have it in you to be successful in that role because it demands so much. It's almost not even just like an enjoyment factor. It's like, you won't be successful because like your, your kind of threshold, like you're not tapping into something that I always talk about. People have like, every person has a latent workaholic tendency. Mm -hmm. 
And that tendency will be triggered when it's the right challenge for the right person at the right time. And that kind of like workaholic vibe, you know, where you just like, you're thinking about it when you go to sleep at night, you know, you can't wait to get up and like fix the thing that you were working on. That is required if you're going to work for a startup. Yep. And so that's, that's kind of the key thing. It's not like, are you, is it going to be worth it for you to put that in? It's like, if it has to even be a thought, it's, not it's, for you. it's just not going to, it's not going to gel. Oh, and yes. I think that's like the difference I've really seen over time. And I think that separates the good candidates and the great candidates. So um, we even talked about earlier that one thing that needed to be done to 12. I went in the zone. I got up early, like two hours before my meeting and I finished the rest of it even though I was only operating on four hours of sleep. It was fine. And I still performed, right. but I enjoyed like it doing triggered that. something. Like you it know? triggered that thing in you. That was like what you loved. And you didn't even like, did you feel like you were, no, you fine. know, being forced to do something or whatever? No, not at all. Because I've been yeah. building computers and doing this since I was like seven. So for me, it's just, just not another day for me. That's, that val- I do for that's certainly so. very validating, you know, that yes. like, I mean, I, I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in candidates. I've seen it in, um, once people start working and the best fits are the ones where like what they need to do tomorrow is like the thing that triggers them to just work for, you know, to the limit. Yep. This was a fantastic interview, but you know, it, it needs to end right now. Right. So let's, <laughs> how can my audience reach out to you and keep the conversation going? Thank you so much for offering that. Well, I will say, you know, if you could link to my LinkedIn below, I am super available. Obviously, you know, find times that work for us, but I'm always happy to review a resume. I'm always happy to talk about a career trajectory. I'm always happy to introduce people to others that I think could be mentors. Like Sly, I just introduced you to somebody who I think yeah. can learn a lot from you. Um, I know thousands of people and I find that the best time to meet people is when you're not looking for a job, you're just really exploring. And I call this investigative networking. I literally coined that. (laughs) So if you could hashtag that, that'd be great. And I just, I found that people are so willing to offer guidance and insight Mm -hmm. when you're not like asking for a job. And so I think you really come in a spot of power and, um, you know, kind of click into people's like desire to help when you're just want to hear their wisdom and just be open to that, like be open to hearing people's stories. How did they get into what they're doing? Ultimately, I guarantee you those people may introduce you to a job, but the best time to do it is before you're looking. Yeah. And you're right. So without any further ado, Sly Gittins and Mimi Gross are out. Peace. Thanks, Sly. It was awesome. Thanks, guys.